You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Uh, I'd like to introduce to us this week and the next three a theme that we are going to be camping around, which is the theme chosen, chosen. And uh, next week, we have got Dr. John Andrews with us, which is always a treat. And we are going to be looking at one of the incredible messages of the New Testament, which is that we have been chosen. Can we all say chosen? Chosen. To be chosen is to be wanted. It's to be selected. It's to be desired. It's to be handpicked. It's to be called out. And if you look at the Greek word that is used in the New Testament for which we get chosen, that is exactly what it means. It means selected and handpicked. When the Bible says that we are chosen by Him, this is exactly what it means. I understand here probably the majority of us in the room have made a decision at some point in our lives to follow Jesus. And we all have our story of how that came about. Maybe a friend introduced you. To Jesus, maybe you started coming to church, maybe you grew up in a Christian family, and all of those things can be part of your journey and your story and how you came to faith in Christ. And yet, underpinning all of that, whatever decision you thought that you took and you did take, the truth of the Bible is that God chose you. That God chose you. The work of the Holy Spirit was in our lives before we made a decision. To give our lives to Him. And in that moment and following on from that, the Spirit of God is at work. But before He is wooing us and drawing us and convicting us, if I look back on my journey becoming a Christian at the age of 17, if I think in the months that led up to that, that it was all out of my own goodness and my own zeal and my own righteousness, it would be a nonsense. God was at work in me. And we have to hold together these massive truths that God is sovereign and He is eternal and He knows all things and He decides all things and He has also given free will to us to choose. And so there came a day where I was free to choose to accept Christ or to turn away and yet also God chose me before the foundation of the earth. And you know these great theological tensions of, if you like, Calvinism and Arminianism, that we really need to hold them together in tension and accept the fact there are some things that our finite logical minds will not grasp the realities of God. Like how Jesus is 100% God and 100% man when he comes into the earth. How is that possible? But we have to accept with God, I don't need to understand all things, but I need to accept all truths. And the most balanced people on a tightrope are those who've got a long pole, right? If you're on a big tightrope and you've got a pencil, it's not going to help you. But if you've got a long pole, and sometimes we have to hold the extremes of truth that God is sovereign and we have free will. And so you may have made a decision to follow Christ, but the truth of the Bible is that you have been chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. Can we say chose us? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This means that before Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even said, let there be light, he had already seen you and designed you and desired you and purposed you because he chose you in him 
before the creation of the world. These, these magnificent truths, they are beyond us, but we have to draw near to them and stretch ourselves to try and accept that he chose you before the foundations of the earth. He desired you. He saw you. He designed you. You are here right on time. Whatever the history story of your family that would say, this is why you were born, I want to tell you today, he chose you. I'll try over here. The Bible says he chose you. In him, even before the foundations of the earth, he saw you. Romans 8, 33, and that incredible more than conquerors run. Paul writing to believers like you and me, and he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Chosen. One of the great verses of the New Testament has been so strong in me during our 21 days of prayer. From 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And over these four weeks, we're going to be exploring this idea of chosen, but not just chosen in and of itself, but chosen for something. You know, if you go to a restaurant, normally you're given a menu and you get to choose something. And you choose it because you want it, right? You know, when I was, uh, when I was a boy, one of my early memories with my grandparents was going to a toy shop. I, I don't, couldn't tell you exactly how old I was. Um, I was probably about five or six. And I can remember going to this toy shop with my sister and my grandparents and being told there was this big display of toy cars, that was kind of how old I was. I think they still sell toy cars, but kids aren't that bothered now. But in those days, I was given, and my granddad said to me, you can choose any car. And I remember, I must have understood the value of money a little bit because I, I, I realized there were many different types of car. And some were big, and some looked really elaborate and fast, and some were really small, and by comparison were cheap. And I clarified, but, but they're like, they're different prices like any car. And he said, yeah, you can have any car, but just one. And I remember I was caught in a dilemma because I realized that, that some of the cars were really expensive, but there was a car that I fell in love with and it was a little mini. It was a red mini and it was in a matchbox. It was like literally in a box. And I think I wanted the box as much as I wanted the car. And I don't know why, but I wrestled because I knew actually I could have had about six of these for the value of the biggest car, but I wanted that one. And my granddad said, you can just have one. And it's like, do I go for the expensive one that I don't actually want, but it kind of feels like I'm missing the opportunity? Or, and you know what? And I chose the Mini. And I chose it because I wanted it. And I remember getting it home and loving it. And I played with it. And I, 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 the box was like a garage to me. And I remember that little red Mini. My birthday, you can get me a little red mini if you want. I just, I, but I, I chose it because I wanted it. I want to tell you, he chose you because he wanted you. He loved you. And he loves you. He desired you and he desires you. Chosen. He chose you. He picked you out. And you might say, well, didn't he pick everybody out? But here we have to understand the truth of the Bible. Yes, God's heart is for all. And yet his heart is for you. It does not dilute his choosing of you. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all, yet, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But don't let that dilute the truth that he chose you. Is it possible that his love is different to our love? Is it possible that his love means he can choose us all as if he was choosing us only? I believe this is so. And in these four weeks, we're going to stretch a little, remind us that we are chosen, but look at what it means to be a chosen person. What, what does that lead us to? One of my favorite passages on this is at the opening of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Two to four, it says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father, your, notice this, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he has chosen you. Paul is writing to a group of people who know they're loved by God, who know they are chosen, and their response as chosen people it's work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. Our chosenness leads to something. Our chosenness demands a response from us. We are chosen. You are a chosen people. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you are chosen. He chose you. Jesus spoke to the disciples, John 15. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you, watch this, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters today, he has chosen you and he has appointed you. Chosen in him, in him to be holy and blameless in his sight. Chosen to be, chosen to bear. Chosen and appointed. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do before the foundation of the earth. He saw you. He saw you now. He chose you. And he chose you to do something. And he chose you to be something. And over these four weeks, we're going to look at chosen and chosen for something. And today, we're going to look at chosen for influence. Chosen for influence. All of us have been chosen out of his love for us, and we have been chosen for influence, to be salt and light, to shine like stars. Where we were a couple of weeks ago, the prayer of Jabez, oh, that you would enlarge my territory. This thought that in God, he has a life for us bigger than us. Last week's word that Esther brought, that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. Something that actually we would be people chosen and people of influence. And each week we're going to track holding on to New Testament truths, track to an Old Testament character to help us. And today I'd like us to turn to the book of Daniel. If you've got your Bible with you, why not track there to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. And allow me to set the scene because Daniel was a chosen person. Daniel was part of Judah, which was part of Israel. You see, those of us that are in Christ, we are a chosen people. We are royal priesthood. In Christ, we are chosen. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people, a type of those that are in Christ, is Israel and Judah. And Daniel finds himself as a chosen person, one of God's chosen people. And yet he finds himself in a world that is alien to that expression and to that truth. And it's such an incredible picture, I think, for us and for our lives. You see, what had happened is in 
587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had sacked Jerusalem. And Judah were there, and they had carried off into exile about 600 miles all the strong and all the able people. And so there was this whole remnant of Judah that was 600 miles away from home in Babylon, a chosen people, but in an alien environment. But in that place, we see Daniel, a chosen person, being an influence, living out the kingdom of God in the kingdom of Babylon. I think we can identify some of us with this truth, with this reality. It can strike something of a truth for us and what life can be like. God's chosen people. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Felt like, like this mismatch between being a chosen son or daughter of God and yet tomorrow morning tracking into an environment which seems alien to that expression. You know, for me, I can remember in my late 20s working for a global company, leading worship on a Sunday night as part of my local church with an incredible outbreak of the presence of God and, and prophetic move. I remember getting up at 5.30 the next morning, getting in my car, speaking in tongues and worshiping all the way and arriving two hours time at the head office where I was due, getting in before everyone on my team, going up and sitting on my desk and praying and speaking in tongues, but thinking, does anybody have any idea who's about to join me of who I really am? And how do I possibly communicate them? And what would they think of me if they knew that I was speaking in tongues under my breath? And, and how on earth do I live out this chosenness in this environment that is focused on something entirely different? I am paid to deliver numbers and deliver profit and raise share price, but I am a son of God. How do I live it out? We see in Daniel how he lives it out. Does this resonate with anybody? Is this our, our world sometimes? And uh, we say, Lord, how do I live out being a chosen person in the environment where I am? Well, the New Testament helps us with this. 1 Peter 2, 11. Peter writes, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. This is the NIV. I love the earlier rendition of NIV, which says, Aliens and strangers in the world. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, You're an alien. <laughs> you are an alien. Dear friends, I urge you, you're an alien in the world. This is why I can feel strange. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Jesus praying for the disciples, John 17, 15, 16, says this incredible prayer. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. They're not of the world, but Lord, don't, Father, don't take them out of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. How do we outwork our chosenness if we're chosen for influence? Well, three thoughts from the book of Daniel. Firstly, chosen people influence through resolve. Chosen people influence through resolve. Can we say resolve? You see, Daniel was part of God's chosen people. He was living in the kingdom of Babylon, but he decided he was going to identify as a chosen one. He decided he was going to outwork the culture of his God, not the culture of his environment. And he resolved to do that. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, 
well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them about the language and literature of the Babylonians. Notice here that they were selecting the chosen ones to learn about the different culture, to embed a different culture in them. He assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, enter the king's service. And among them who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. I'll tell you, there's an environment will want to put a different identity upon you. To Daniel, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. Here is the the threat of compromise, the challenge of compromise, to live a certain way, to change, to be molded, to be yielded into a different environment, a different culture, with different values, with different food, with a different name. But Daniel resolved, chosen for influence. He resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, we have a problem, because the chief official was scared of the king, because the king was an absolute nut job. I mean, he was seriously unhinged, and anyone that argued with him, he'd have beheaded. So the chief official was like, no, 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 you've got to do, seriously, you've got to do uh, what you've been asked to do. And Daniel's like, no, no. So Daniel says, all right, I tell you what, let's negotiate this. Let's just do a trial for a period of days, under the radar. No one needs to, needs to know. And you see how we look after 10 days. Just help me to keep doing what I need to do as a chosen person. And then verse 15, it says, at the end of 10 days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Notice some of what Daniel became was because he resolved. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. Who's going to work tomorrow who'd like to be 10 times better? You know, maybe you've got some targets to hit. Wouldn't it be great to be 10 times better? I can't promise you that, but I tell you this, that if you resolve, the favor of God can come upon your life. 10 times better. Daniel was challenged to compromise, but he resolved. For him, it included what he might eat or drink. For us, that's unlikely to be the case, but there will be challenge, there will be compromise. For some of you, you work for companies and they will want to own you, only you don't belong to them, you belong to him. There will be challenges for some of us to, to live a certain way, to, to act a certain way, to speak a certain way, to behave a certain way, and it is not what a chosen person does. And a chosen person has to resolve, hello? A chosen person has to resolve. I can remember working for this company that I spoke about and... The, uh, I remember at that time, I think it was that time that the, the National Lottery came on the scene and there were lots of syndicates. So the team I was part of was like, let's do a syndicate. Everybody put in five pounds a week or something like that. And I was like, I, I, I don't think I can do this. 
It's like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I had resolved, I, like, I'm not going to gamble. I'm, I'm not going to do the national lottery. And then I'm caught in a quandary because I want to be accepted by my teammates, but I, I don't really want to compromise. And it's not the worst thing. And, and I'm, so I'm wrestling over this, but I resolved. And I just had to say, I'm sorry, guys, that's not for me. I remember the, the, the enemy whispering into my ear, like, oh, you're such an oddball. You're such an outcast. You're going to look like such a weirdo. They're going to think you're no fun. They're not going to want to have anything to do with you. But sometimes you have to resolve and say, actually, I am living in a different kingdom. I remember being in places where certain conversations, I just have to excuse myself from that conversation because it's not a conversation I wanted to be in. Certain practices, certain lines of integrity where I had to draw a line. Why? Because I'm a chosen person. And chosen people resolve. And the thing is that in those moments, you can think you're just an oddball, but a time comes later on where someone asks you about your faith because they can see that you're different. And you only seem to be different if you resolved in the first place. And we have to resolve. The composite of three Hebrew words is what gives us this NIV resolve. And really, you put them together, literally it means he established it according to the heart. He established, he established it according to the heart, or the New King James, he purposed it in his heart. That's what it means to resolve. And my friends, if you're a chosen person, you will influence by resolve if you establish it in your heart. This is who I am, and this is who I'm going to be. I love talking to Rich Williams, the site manager uh, in the construction world, who's in our first service. And he's just such a great example of this because he's resolved. He is in a world, those of you who work in construction, in a world that is, is almost exclusively male where a certain level of on-site banter and a certain level of on-site language and a certain level of doing dodgy deals goes on. It's just part of that world. But Rich has resolved that he is a child of God. He is a son of God and not on his site. And I love it because the guys, are, they know, not on Richard's site. Someone came a few months ago and said, look, if I give you this for cash, we can do this deal. And the guy said to him, no, we can't do that. Not on Richard's site. So we're going to do that on Richard's site. You're going to have to do it properly. Certain people who were swearing, effing and blinded, but they stopped because it's, it's Richard's site. And he loves those guys and he fights for those guys. And they, they would go to war for him. But he has resolved. I don't know about you, what you need to do. Some of us, we need to resolve, but it's through our resolve that we will influence, that we will make a difference. The enemy will try to put a different name on us, but God has a name for us. Sometimes it will require courage, but remember, God has not given you a spirit of timidity. I wonder who needs to resolve today. Secondly, chosen people influence through prayer. Chosen people pray. My friends, you, we are a chosen people. Hello? We're a chosen people. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. And chosen people pray. And we see Daniel, he changes things because of prayer. Sometimes we have to go to a higher authority. Hello? Last week, just past Warwick University, have had their, their Christian union, have had their mission week. And in leading up to it, they'd done what they did in the previous few years, and they booked this massive marquee to put in the center of campus to have their events in. And then they heard from the student union this year that they weren't going to be allowed to do it. And it was a hard no. This is not this year. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And so you know what they did? They didn't go to the decision maker. They went to the real decision maker. They called a prayer meeting. They went to the higher authority, and they called prayer. They said, oh, God, will you help us to turn this thing around? You know what happened? The whole thing got turned around. 
I don't know, maybe you're facing some opposition where you are. Daniel faced opposition and he prayed. In chapter 2, there's this situation goes on where Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he has this dream that freaks him out. And he wants to understand what the dream is about. But instead of telling the dream to the enchanters and the magicians to interpret the dream, he just thinks they're going to come up with something. And he wants to know that it's genuine. So he says, I'm not going to even tell you the dream. Tell you what, you've got to tell me the dream. Because if you can tell me what I dreamt, then I'm going to believe that you've also got the interpretation. And the magicians all say, no one can do this. How can anybody possibly do it? So he says, right, we'll kill the lot of you. And he sends this decree that everyone's going to be killed. And then word comes to Daniel and his friends because they are within this remit of the wise men of Babylon. And so he gets the WhatsApp message. You need to get ready for your execution. So you know what he does? He prays. He calls a prayer meeting in the face of opposition. Chapter 2, 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact and asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king, oh, great courage, and he asked for time that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. It doesn't say like this. I want to tell you, he called a prayer meeting. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't have called a prayer meeting? We either get this thing from God or we're going to die. Hello. You know, something's happened in our lives to get us on our knees. But sometimes we can face opposition and, and we just, we complain about it or we tolerate it. Sometimes you get what you tolerate. And I wonder if God has sometimes placed us places to pray about it and to change it. Not to remove us from it, but actually to put us there that we might be the ones that intercede and that pray. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And so he goes and he explains the dream and he explains the interpretation and he gets promoted and he opens the door for his friends to get promoted. Chosen people influence through prayer. I encourage you, there might be some situations around your world, opposition that you're facing. Things that maybe you have been placed there to change it through prayer. I know some people, they go into their places of work and they, they get in before the rest of the team so they can pray over every chair, change the environment. You might not be in your dream job right now, but maybe God's placed you there in order to be a praying person to change things. Who's chosen people influence through prayer. In the first house where Esther and I uh, got when we were, we were newly married, we had a neighbor on one side who was really hostile to us and, and she would get really angry. She'd shout through the wall. She'd bang on the wall. She'd swear through the wall. My alarm clock went off on one morning. She starts screaming through the wall to switch my alarm clock off. It was a hostile environment. And what happens in that environment, like you, you can end up feeling intimidated in your own home. And I, we started creeping around our own home because we didn't want her to shout through the wall. Until there comes a moment where you go, hang on a minute, this is ridiculous. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I, I'm not having this. Remember, we agreed together. We prayed. We put the name of Jesus. And we went to war in prayer. And on that day, things turned around. I tell you, it was a spirit trying to intimidate us change things through prayer. We also resolved that if it happened again, which it didn't, we were going to take flowers round. 
we were going to love her. We were going to mess her up with the love of God. The more abusive she got, the more we were going to love her. Because it confuses people. But prayer changed it. We didn't even need to do it. I want to tell you, my friends, you can change things through prayer. Chosen people. Chosen people understand that they're children of the Most High God and that He's positioned us and we can come to Him. Sometimes you might have a boss over you and they might have a boss over them, but you've got a boss over all of them. We can influence through prayer. And thirdly, chosen people influence through excellence. My friends, we have the Spirit of God living in us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. Maybe you don't feel much like that today, but I want to tell you, you're a chosen person. You are a royal priest. You are a holy person belonging to God, called, chosen, and set apart. And with the Spirit of God in you, you have the Spirit of excellence in you. I love what we see in, in Daniel to remind ourselves that God has a life for us bigger than us. Well, some of us, we might not feel like we're particularly gifted or talented. 1 Corinthians 1 reminds us, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God, one of the great but God statements of the Bible, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. I believe, my friends, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, there should be the evidence of excellence. It doesn't mean you're the brightest person in your environment, on your course at uni. If you are, then steward it well. Or the strongest person or the most talented person. But there should be something different about you. I said there should be something different about you. There was something different about Daniel. He had an excellent spirit. The Bible teaches us in Colossians 3 that whatever our hands find to do, we should do it as unto the Lord, bringing glory to Him, not as if to our bosses, our worldly, earthly bosses, but as unto the Lord, that wherever you are placed, that you should give it your best. Oh, Jack, who with, with his wife Mary, head of our prayer ministry team, I, I just love talking to him. He finished a law degree just a few years ago and, and being unable at that time to get work in the legal profession uh, was driving a bus. But instead of being frustrated about that, I'd, I've got nothing against driving buses. I'm just saying it wasn't his dream job. And yet he made a decision that it's going to be the best bus that anyone's going to be able to get on. That if Jack's driving the bus, he's going to pastor that bus. People are going to get onto his bus. He's going to stop and not be one of those grumpy bus drivers, but be an incredible, happy, joy-filled bus driver. Get out and help our young mums and their kids wrestling with the buggy. You know, how many of you have run for a bus and you're, you're waving and you let, and as soon as you get there, the bus driver drives off. I mean, what is wrong with them? It's like, like an evil breed, but not Jack's bus. He said to me, there are protocols, actually, Pastor, we've got to, but, um, but I, I've got faith to believe that if you run for Jack's bus, he'll wait for you. But what an excellent spirit that says, this bus is going to be the best bus. I'm going to pray that when people get on my bus, they sense something different. I remember my dad worked as a, he was a senior manager in engineering, and he was made redundant in his early 50s. A few years earlier, he'd given his life to Christ. And I can remember while he was looking for other jobs, he knew a guy who was the manager of a big department store, and a job was going there as the lift operator. My dad, for several weeks while he was waiting to get a different job, was the lift operator. He said, I'd love to do that want to get out and he and he went and he operated the lift 
You know, you get into the lift, you go, hello, good morning, sir. What floor, sir? Floor four, great, great to see you. How's your day? I'm so proud of my dad. That excellent spirit. So I'm not going to mope around. I'm not going to be proudful. I love my dad. I'm proud of my dad. Remember, one of his birthdays, we, we reflected. We were just celebrating my dad. My dad captained Nottingham Rugby Club back in the day and went to Cambridge University. But I said, Dad, you know what I'm most proud of about you? It's when he did the lift. Seriously. I thought that was incredible. That he went, he said, I'm going to go there. I'm going to arrive early. I'm going to look smart. I'm going to be the best lift operator that this country's got going right now. Why? It's an excellent spirit. It's what Daniel says. This is, well, what the book of Daniel tells us. This is chapter 6. It pleased Darius, verse 1, to appoint 120 satraps to rule through the kingdom with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. I want to hold on to that thought just for a moment, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct over government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And some of you know the story that they set this trap that that then he's not allowed to pray. And Daniel, well, he's a chosen person, so he's going to pray anyway. And he gets thrown in the lion's den, but God delivers him out of that. And the king is filled with remorse. But I want to tell you, there was something different about Daniel. He's in Babylon, but he's one of the top three people. And the king was minded to put him over everybody, the Bible says, because he so distinguished himself with his exceptional qualities. But the NIV that gives us qualities, it really doesn't translate it well, because the word isn't qualities, the word is ruah, and it means spirit. It means he had such an exceptional spirit. There was something about him. I want to tell you with the spirit of God in you, you can have an exceptional ruah. An exceptional spirit. You might not be the sharpest knight in the drawer, but you can have an exceptional spirit. On your team, there ought to be something about you. Where people go, there's something about her. What is it? It's her exceptional ruah. There's something different about her because the Spirit of God lives in her. My friends, I want to encourage us. Chosen people, chosen by God known by God, loved by God, called by God, purposed by God, designed by God, for here and for now and filled with the Spirit of God, we should be going into our world chosen for influence with an exceptional spirit. Something different about our attitude, our character, something about us. remember working for this company that I spoke about, and I worked hard. I gave it my best shot, but the favor of God was on my life. I prayed before going in to negotiate deals, and I seemed to always come out on top. And I know it doesn't always work like that, but the grace of God was upon me. And when I, when I gave him my resignation letter to move into church work, which was God's call and plan for me at that time, my boss cried. I want to say we should make our bosses cry <laughs> when we resign. Why? Because of our exceptional ruah. Can we all say ruah? There's something about you with the Spirit of God in you, chosen for influence. I remember her boss came to me and tried to twist my arm to stay for the company, offered me loads of different things, but then he finished by saying, I don't suppose we can compete with God. 
said, no, you think you're right. And his boss's boss came and, and tapped my shoulder and said, come and see me for coffee before you go. President of the company over Europe. Three months later, he gave a massive donation into a church project that I was running. I had the cheek to call him up and say, hey, I don't remember me, but I need you to do something for me. So speak to my PA, whatever you want. Why? Because of my exceptional ruah. There's nothing about me, there's everything about him. And I don't know what space you're going to occupy tomorrow, but you're a chosen person. I want to remind you today you're chosen. You're chosen and you're loved. You're called and you're purposed, and you're chosen for influence. And I wonder if the band can come and join me as we finish. And I wonder if we can begin to pray across this room if somewhere in this message it might be speaking to somebody. Maybe there's somebody here and you know you need to resolve. Maybe you've been living one way in church and in your life group and one way in a student environment at university. Maybe you've been living one way at church and one way in your workplace. You kind of feel awkward now because you've lived a certain way and you're going to need to change. But let me tell you, chosen people resolve. And it begins in the heart. You establish it in the heart. You say in a moment like this, Lord, I'm sorry. And I'm going to live as a chosen person. Not a compromised person with a foot in two camps, but a chosen person. I'm going to live as a son. Whatever that might look like. For some of us, we maybe recognize we've been facing opposition and we've been slow to pray. And actually, this word comes to land to us today because actually we've been tolerating some things. We think, I shouldn't be tolerating that. I need to pray. I don't think I can convince the decision maker or the opponent, but I can come to a higher authority today to say, Lord, I resolve that I'm going to pray. Some of us, we maybe just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been casual about my work. I've not been living it as unto you. Maybe I've been resenting what I'm doing because I wanted to be in a different place. Would you help me tomorrow to outwork an exceptional ruah that they say there's something about that person? To bring honor to his name, you're a chosen person. Live it out. 